Many of the people who listen in to AI and industry originally found our, our site, emerge.com, E-M-E-R-J.com, by Googling financial services related terms, artificial intelligence banking, NLP and insurance, uh, how computer vision is changing insurance companies, you know, whatever the case may be. We show up for a tremendous amount of our various articles in finance and banking and insurance. And lending is one important part of that pie. And in this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, we go deep into just that topic. Jay Budzik is the guest this week on the AI and Industry Podcast. He is a PhD from Northwestern in computer science, and he's also the CTO of a company called Zest Finance. Zest Finance is one of the better funded and better known companies innovating with AI in the domain of lending. And uh, Jay dives in with us in kind of three parts in this interview. We talk about where AI applies to the world of auto lending. A little bit of a different angle here. I don't think people usually think about auto lending when they think about lending. They might think about business loans or mortgages, but auto lending is its own interesting space, and Jay goes right there with us. We also talk a bit about underwriting and credit scores and how that whole world is evolving from what it was 20 years ago, what kind of data, what kind of statistical methods, to today, what kind of algorithms, what kinds of new data sources are sort of being layered in. And Jay does a great job of sort of painting that picture clearly. And then we wrap up with how to solve the problem of the black box in finance. Zest Finance has done a, a decent job here kind of marketing themselves as being more transparent and sort of steering clear of the black box. Certainly any company that aims to go far in finance or healthcare is going to have to do the same thing. Nobody wants to trust sort of the mysteries of AI when it comes to how decisions are made. And, and Jay breaks down sort of how they approach this at Zest and how he thinks about it in a way that I think will hopefully be instructive for those of you who are in finance or just who in general are interested in taking the absolute abstraction of black box deep learning and sort of pulling it closer to something that we can understand in enterprise and make important decisions about. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to hop right into this episode. This is Jay with Zest Finance. I'm Dan Fagella, and you are listening to AI in Industry. Oh, and before I forget, goodness gracious, I missed it in that last recording. We are launching a new podcast called AI in Banking. For those of you who like fintech, who are interested in AI innovation, finance, and in banking particularly, how the banking landscape is changing, the technology players, the big banks, the mid-sized banks, and exactly what leaders need to do to stay ahead in the game of banking, whether you're selling to them or you're running a division of a bank yourself or sort of working within a bank, uh, be sure to tune into that show, AI in Banking. We are launching this program on July 1st with five big episodes, including the former head of AI at HSBC, a C-level leader at Citibank, some excellent initial guests in our first five kickoff series on our new podcast for AI and banking. So this show with Jay probably could have fit pretty well in there, but this is launching before or, or kind of directly after the initial launch. We've already had those early episodes mapped out. So tune into the full episode here with Jay, but be sure to join us on AI and banking if you like this show. We go specifically into banking and finance in that particular program. So I hope to catch you there. Anywho, no more further adieus. Let's roll in. Let's hear what Jay has to say. We'll dive into this episode. So, Jay, where I wanted to start us off is in the world of auto lending. I think people think about artificial intelligence for lending, but maybe aren't aware that auto lending is a space that's potentially rife for innovation. What are the benefits there? What are the applications there for AI and auto lending? That's a great place to start. Thanks for that. I think the auto lending space is really interesting because when folks go to get a car, you know, this is going to be, you know, an important thing for them to be able to go to work, to be able to take care of their families. 
And there's a variety of ways they can get a loan to finance the purchase of that car. One is from the manufacturer of the vehicle. If the, especially if the car is new, often vehicle manufacturers will have, you know, some programs that are available for folks. Even when the car is new, those programs might not be open to everybody. So if you've maybe had an issue with your credit in the past or don't have a spotless record, you can get denied. And so there are other lenders, banks, and then non-bank lenders that also provide financing for a car. And what's interesting about this space in general is that there's so much data available to use in the process of deciding whether or not a consumer should get that loan uh, and then how to price the interest rate on the loan so that the lender uh, is able to make a profit. And so the data sources we tend to look at are things like uh, the make and model of the car, the mileage of the car, and then attributes of the consumer, like have they had bankruptcies in the past and how many and were they recent or have they uh, cured those? And so by making use of all of that data, both about the car itself and the, the loan that the customer is applying for and their credit history, we can more accurately assess whether they're going to be able to pay back. And by doing so, it gives our lender customers just a real incredible competitive advantage because they can approve folks who might be overlooked by others. Yeah. So the, I guess the goal is you're winning more business, right? When you might've been on the fence because you're not sure of where the risk stands. If you know that the odds are in your favor and lending is viable, now you not only win a customer who you might do more business with, but you have whatever you make off of that customer. So it sounds like it's kind of a top line value proposition here. Yeah. So that that's certainly one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that you can identify those riskier borrowers more easily as well. So you can avoid the most risky folks, but still approve the ones that are going to pay you back. And you know, as it turns out, the folks that sort of have the less, uh, less credit history uh, or that might have a blemish on their credit record, those are the folks for which having access to a car is really the most meaningful. So they're the, the ones who really need the financing to be able to get the car so that they can go to work and provide for their family. So we see this as actually providing some pretty significant access to the folks out there who might have been denied a means of transportation in the past. Yeah, and, and I think probably the way people assume this works, and Jay, you would know, is that we have a combination of things happening that's sort of enabling the AI you know, renaissance, if you will, in, in lending altogether, never mind in auto lending alone. Part of that is just better algorithms, you know, something other than whatever statistical models were being used by whatever the lenders were, you know, Toyota financing, whatever statistical model they used historically. There's now algorithms that maybe are weighing things more effectively or geo-specific or even car-specific, all kinds of interesting algorithms that can do better stuff. Uh, Another part of it might even just be more data. So systems now that can kind of pick up and coax out what is the pattern of risk and the pattern of non-risk from more sources. Um, in terms of where you're seeing AI move its way into auto lending, is it a bit of both or is it more one than the other? Oh, that's a great question. Fantastic question. Uh, it's really a bit of both. So we uh, work with auto lenders of 
all sizes. And in some of our customer engagements, we've actually been able to take a pretty close look at the models they have in place before they adopt machine learning. And in many cases, we see 10 to 15 variables used in the model to make a decision about whether or not to lend to a person. We'll look at things like the percentage down on the car, the loan amount, the customer's credit score, uh, and then make their decisions based on rules uh, that are built around those. And so what machine learning allows these lenders to do is to consider many, many more variables. So instead of this 10 or 15 variable model, we can help them consider hundreds of variables, even thousands of variables. And by doing so, they get a much more accurate picture of that consumer. But in the process, in order to be able to consider so many variables, they need new algorithms uh, that are able to handle them. And machine learning offers a way through that problem to be able to consider all those variables but not make mistakes because uh, you get tripped up by things like correlations and limitations of the math. Yeah, and I guess poking into that even a little bit farther, Jay, I appreciate the clarity there. It sounds like there's a bit of both going on. When we talk about sort of an individual lender leveraging a technology of this kind, it would seem to me as though the factors that have different weights, right, the features that we're training the system on, whether it's, I don't know, I mean, it could be anything. Uh, I imagine there's folks looking at the age of the applicant and like you mentioned, bankruptcies, and they're, they're weighing a bankruptcy a certain amount versus another amount. The weights of those features is probably going to change if you run a Toyota dealership or if you run a BMW dealership. They might also change if you run a Toyota dealership in the middle of Detroit versus a Toyota dealership in in Woodside, California. Is that the case? In other words, I would suspect that there's kind of make, model, and geo that would really have to be kind of tweaked maybe at a per dealership level, but it, it might be able to be sufficiently adjusted sort of at a higher level, but it would seem like maybe most granular be per dealership. How do you see that being dialed in? Because it seems like it does have to kind of adjust. Yeah. So you bring up a couple of points there. So you mentioned two attributes that are actually pretty important to, to be careful with. One is age and the other is geography. So there are laws in the United States that require that you not discriminate uh, in lending based on age, gender, uh, or ethnicity. And the location of the applicant, where they live, can be a pretty good predictor of their race and ethnicity. So you have to be pretty careful when you're considering attributes like the location of something. In some of the models that we built, even at a state level, when you associate the state in which a person lives with other attributes like the mileage on the car, uh, you can end up with pretty perfect predictors of their uh, ethnic background and their race. Whoa, is, that, that's, that's absolutely yeah. mind-blowing. I would never have expected just those factors, Jay. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. And so it's important to be able to do a full inspection on the model to make sure that it's not doing the wrong thing from a discrimination perspective, that it isn't making decisions that are biased and unfair. But uh, that being said, you're, you're absolutely right. The more specific you can be about the application, the business, the type of car, the mileage on the car, the trim, uh, all those things add a little bit of extra predictive power when you're trying to consider whether someone's going to default. You just have to be very careful 
with which attributes you ultimately choose. Yeah, certainly lending is one of these touchy areas uh, with all, all sorts of pros and cons. And I'm sure that there's some places where you know things are happening behind the scenes there. But certainly as folks in this space, you guys are more aware of that than I. You can tell how familiar I am with all the legal nuances of, of auto no. lending, but never mind lending yeah. in general. I guess, and that'll swing us into what I consider to be a pretty related topic here around sort of underwriting. So when it comes to sort of underwriting and credit scoring, potentially it seems like there's similar sort of trends and possibilities at play. We have new algorithms, we have new data. You know, on a tertiary level, a lot of folks might just presume, okay, well, AI is going to automate the underwriting process. Like that's, that's what a lot of the hubbub is. Clearly, it's more nuanced than that in terms of how underwriting and credit scoring are being sort of remolded in the age of AI. How do you like to frame what that remolding looks like? What's really happening under the hood there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question too. So credit scores really transformed the industry. Um, it used to be that to get a loan, you had to talk to a banker behind a desk and they made a judgment on you based on the application data that you provided and their sense of whether or not you were going to be a good borrower. That judgmental process actually has been demonstrated to result in the kind of bias that we were just talking about. The bankers used to prove people that looked and acted like they did, and that created discrimination in the system. Yeah. And so when we moved to having a credit score that was a more objective a combination of various numerical factors, we saw a pretty big decrease in that type of race-based discrimination and gender-based discrimination. So that was a huge step forward. And then as automation came into play, many and many more of those lending decisions could be made automatically. And so, you know, if you had a high enough credit score, your loan will get approved automatically by a machine. And so that automation has been making its way through the industry for the past 20, 30 years, the instant approvals and the like. And so with AI and machine learning, what you're now able to do is have the same kind of objective automated decisioning process. But instead of just considering a handful of variables, you can, you can consider hundreds and thousands of variables and make a much, much more accurate decision. So as a result, instead of approving people that are just going to default and have a problem on their hands, create a mess by offering credit to folks who aren't going to be able to pay, lenders can avoid that and prevent that from happening to consumers. And they can approve the folks that are really more deserving that might have not been approved in the past because they don't have all of the traditional data points that one might think of in a credit report. This is particularly true for young people these days who yep, yep. Uh, have taken out a debit card, don't have credit cards, you know, do most of their transacting and, you know, using their checking account online and have a very limited credit history. But it's also the case for underrepresented segments of the population that might not have the means or the setup to be able to, to create that history for themselves. So we see this as sort of, you know, the next big revolution in credit. You know, if you have in the first hand, the yeah, invention of an objective credit score, and then the ability to automate credit decisioning based on that score and rules. If those were the first two revolutions in credit, then the third is certainly AI and machine learning. So just to let me poke into a little bit of this, Jay, I appreciate the overall 
sort of view, and hopefully people are getting an idea of where you're coming from. You brought up something that, again, sort of surprised me here. You'd mentioned, I think you said hundreds of thousands uh, when it when it came to factors, which to me sounded like almost there's probably almost no underwriting model that involves that many factors. Maybe you were talking about the total possible number of factors, or maybe you were. Maybe it's not hundreds of thousands, but maybe it is thousands, plural. When it comes to the yeah. complexity, can you give us an idea maybe of, let's say, 20 years ago, what's involved in a credit score versus today? I mean, let's not talk about 20 years in the future or two year, even two years in the future. Just freeze the tech today, yours included. Um, today versus 20 years ago, the kinds of data that could fit in here, I think that'd be really illustrative. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what I what I said before was uh, hundreds or thousands. Okay, got um, it, got it. Yeah, all right. I mean, that, <laughs> uh, theoretically, in machine learning, uh, there really is no practical limit, limit the number of variables that you can put in there. Yeah. But typically, you know, if you think about the first generation scores, those are based on uh, a dozen or two factors. Things like the length of your employer, the number of bankruptcies, the number of uh, open lending products that you have, your income. Those simple economic indicators were combined using a method called uh, logistic regression into an equation that produces this credit score. And that was quite a revolution. What's possible today is to use techniques like neural networks and a thing called a gradient boosted tree uh, and other advanced modeling methods to create a much more accurate and nuanced picture out of much, much more data. And so the models that we put into production for our customers tend to have hundreds or thousands of variables in them. We have one that has 2,200 variables that's running an auto lending business. And um, that customers enjoyed you know, a doubling of their business as a result of using this model. And the way that we get folks comfortable using that much more data to make these decisions is by explaining to them exactly how the model uses that data so they can be sure that it's doing the right thing in all circumstances. Yeah, we're going to we're talk about transparency in just a second, Jay. We're going to end on that. Just to touch on what you've just said here, and then we'll pivot into kind of our final question. You're, you're getting into some great meat in the topic. You know, before you'd mentioned it was a couple dozen factors with certain specific weights, and, and you listed a couple of those. Obviously, you know, those particular features, let's call them, and the weights of said features um, and the volumes of those that are needed to train a model, these are variable factors. And this is also a bit of the secret sauce. So I'm, I'm not sitting here asking you to, you know, go under the kimono, so to speak, but just kind of very high level, if at all possible. What categories of new data are new? You don't even really have to list one, but I think you know people maybe who are ignorant of this process, not not due to not being educated, just not understanding the nuances, might assume, okay, well maybe it's like social media stuff. Maybe that's in there somewhere. Maybe it's uh, some other factor that people can scrape from the web. Maybe it's some other personal factor about me that's not like really rough and discriminatory in a bad way, but it's just a factor about me as a person. Can we talk real lightly about just any new categories of data that are now on the scene factoring in that weren't before? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of interesting. You mentioned that the formula that the model uses, the secret sauce, this is, um, that's absolutely true. And so one of the best kept secrets in financial services is the exact formula that's used to compute your credit score. What's that total black box? But it's a great question. What type of additional data 
is available. And these are things like public records about the number of court cases that you have pending against you. Have you been in jail? Not what are you saying on social media or what websites are you visiting on your computer? So it's just the ability to consider many more finance and credit related data points that uh, you wouldn't be able to use without the advanced math of machine learning. These aren't signals that you would think are creepy or unwanted. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to lean you in that direction. It was no, no setup intended at all, Jay. But I think that I appreciate you getting into some of the illustrative stuff. That there are other factors in the world that would understandably matter to lenders. I mean, court cases, criminal stuff. I mean, that completely makes sense uh, in my opinion. I'm sure if you're in China, yeah. the websites you're browsing do factor into your credit score. But fortunately, <laughs> it sounds like here in the states they don't. So good to know. It's very interesting, actually. In China, we hear of folks using things like their social media interactions all the time. But uh, here, it's much more boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boring is one of the one of the ways you could describe it. So, going into sort of this black box topic, I'm certainly can't be here tooting your guys' horn, but the people who've who've gotten to see sort of our AI and banking vendor landscape are aware that you folks have significant traction in this space, score well on. On our models, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've been able to convince people that this is not a black box. That's part of the value prop, pretty clear from your website. It also feels like a real challenge to, to go from this maybe understandable, excelable, so to speak, statistical models to this wild world of machine learning, but still be able to tell people, hey, these are the tangible factors that are weighted at what level to come out with this score. That's a tough nut to crack. Is there a way that you like to explain the middle ground between hard rules and between ML? Yeah, sure. So ML is really just a more advanced version of what people have been doing for years. So the statistics invented this notion of uh, predicting an outcome from data, and uh, machine learning is sort of taking that to the next level by producing even more accurate methods of predicting the future. And so really the, the way that we've done our work is to approach it from the perspective that we need to require ourselves to deliver the same level of transparency that's been available and that enabled the adoption of statistical modeling methods in the industry. So we hold ourselves to a very high bar. Uh, we wanna enable our customers to understand how each and every model-based decision is made so that they can explain to consumers when they get denied or approved why they're getting denied, uh, as is required by law, I might add, uh, and also so that they can make sure that their models are doing the right thing. If you're going to adopt some fancy new technology, you kind of want to be sure that it's going to do the right thing. And so that's really been our main focus here at Zest Finance has been developing those methods, testing them, making sure that they're right, doing all of the mathematics that's required to prove to ourselves and to others that the answers that our tools produce are accurate and consistent and trustworthy. Cool. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how methods, you know, you're, you're articulating the way that you folks approach it, how that same kind of approach is going to make its way into what's happening in you know, the investing world and into the, the fraud world and, and into healthcare, these spaces where black boxes are just not allowed, but it's, it's neat to get some idea of how you guys are trying to 
I guess, square that circle uh, in this important space of lending. And I know that that was our last question, all that we had for time. But Jay, I really appreciate you being able to dive deep with us here and, and give us kind of the the layman's understanding uh, in a way that sheds a ton of light on lending writ large. So appreciate you being here on AI and Industry. Thanks so much for having me. And that wraps up this episode of AI in Industry. If you've enjoyed this program, as I mentioned before, on July 1st, we launched a new podcast called AI in Banking. This is a program entirely focused on artificial intelligence innovation in banking. We talk about the fintech landscape. We talk about banks. We talk about how that whole ecosystem is shifting and what are going to be the defining AI capabilities and the defining strategies of the winners and losers. We talk with leaders at Citigroup. We talk with leaders at HSBC, at Visa, uh, and at some of the leading startups in the space. And I hope that you'll sincerely enjoy the material that we put together there in our first five episodes. We launched them all right off the bat on July 1st. And so we've been dripping out one every Monday ever since. So if you like this show, be sure to join us there. Second quick point as we wrap up on this episode here, we've released our full report on the AI and banking vendor landscape. So Zest Finance is actually in the report. They were ranked rather well. They're a credible company. That's why I decided to have them on the show. And you can actually get the full exact executive guide brief or the executive summary brief at emerj.com slash B1. That's B as in banking, one. So that whole report is sort of available on that page, but you'll see at the bottom of the page, you can actually just download the executive summary brief. Uh, If you're interested, you can ask us questions about the report. But for folks who are just curious, they want to see the full map of startups. They want to see where the money's being invested. They want to get a sense of where the ROI is being gleaned sort of what capabilities are more accessible than others. Uh, this is a critical report for understanding what's possible and what's working in AI and banking and what leaders should be doing about it. So that's emerj.com slash B1. That's B as in banking one. So I hope you get to dig into that as well. If you enjoyed this episode with Jay, and if you're genuinely interested in how AI is shaking up finance, there's probably nowhere on our site for free uh, where, where you can get more of our in-depth, rich uh, research insights, and certainly some of our charts and graphs that, that only paid customers would normally receive than on emerge.com slash B1. So sink your teeth into that. Let me know what you think. You can always pop me a note on LinkedIn. Appreciate you being here for this episode, and I will catch you next week.